Hello, listeners. Welcome to Educational Landscapes, Lessons from Leaders. On today's episode, we're going to learn from Will Bundy. Welcome to the show, Will. Hey, thanks for having me. Most welcome. So to get us going, what is your educational leadership title or titles? Um, it's always a mouthful, isn't it? Uh, I'm an instructor of anesthesiology, and I'm director of simulation for the Master Medical Science Program in Anesthesiology at Emory University School of Medicine. So if that all fits in your mouth. <laughs> yes, that was that was a lot there. That was a lot. So <laughs> what do you do in your role? Um, so I'm in charge of designing and implementing uh, the uh, simulation curriculum for our learners, and that spans the course of basically an entire year over four semesters. Um, and that supplements and goes in tandem with the didactic learning that they're getting in the classroom. So they get to implement through active learning and, you know, small uh, teacher-student ratio and um uh, that's the majority of that. And then I also, uh, teach a didactic course on the anesthesia machine. And, uh, then I also have clinical responsibilities over at the hospital. So I, I do, I wear lots of hats. <laughs> indeed, indeed you do. So to help our listeners, um, how many anesthesiology assistant learners do you have per cohort and at what point, uh, and how long is the program? So it's a 27-month program, and it go, runs continuously uh, through the summer. Um, each cohort uh, ranges between 36 and 40 students. Um, at any given time, we'll have at least two cohorts, and then in the fall, we have three cohorts um, as one graduates in December, and then the, uh, the new one starts in August. Ah, fun times. So when, during those 27 months, do they get to do the simulation? So simulation is an integral part of the initial portion of the, you know, the onboarding of bringing someone in off the street uh, without you know, an in-depth knowledge of medicine or anesthesia and getting them up to speed in order to, by the end of the first semester, be able to do an uncomplicated anesthetic from start to finish. Um, and our simulation uh, curriculum like builds them from how do we draw up medications and how do we start an IV to all the way to let's manage an anesthetic. Wonderful. As somebody who's had to be put under, I appreciate y'all. <laughs> it's always better to practice on a dummy first. Exactly. <laughs> so the curriculum continues from there and we do more advanced scenarios more critical uh, event management and um and that carries on all the way up until when they graduate really um but it's really intensive for that first year okay thank you thank you for that clarification so given that you've got multiple hats what skills do you use in your roles um all of them. Uh, what skills do I not, not use? Um, you know, for example, today I was teaching uh, students how to play spinals and epidurals. Um, and so there's the, the physical portion uh, and the tactile uh, sense of, of how to actually physically do it. There's the conceptual um, use of, okay, what are the indications, contraindications, and all the, all the theory that needs to go behind it in the anatomy. Um, and yesterday we were simulating, uh, critical events of anaphylaxis and malignant hyperthermia. So it's, 
a different set of, you know, being able to work under pressure and do a differential diagnosis. And so I really get to use the full span of, of the skills that I've learned over a career and really implement that. Wonderful. So talking about the span of your career, what was your journey that led to these current roles? Um, started off as a student of the program I teach at, um, graduated from Emory back uh, 2011, um, came to work for Emory University Hospital, did that for a um, number of years, and that kind of started it because uh, being in an academic hospital, we're very much involved in training of uh, AA students, um, and so you get your first exposure as a preceptor. Um, and through working at that hospital, I was invited to join the faculty in, uh, 2016. Um, and, um, then from there it was working by mentorship. Uh, I had some, you know, great teachers along the way, people that taught me as I was coming through and then working alongside them and getting to really learn how they taught, um, you know, we, we, we all stand on the shoulders of giants at some point, and I definitely had mine along the way. Um, from there, it was learning what my teachers hadn't learned and how education has evolved since the 30, 40 years that they you know, started uh, doing this. And that was, you know, on my own, seeking out, you know, additional resources in order to make myself a better teacher, coming from a completely clinical side and then, you know, learning how to teach as, as a as I'm doing it. <laughs> I love that. The whole, what is that saying? Building the plane as you're flying it. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot of that, but that's, that's anesthesia as, <laughs> as a whole sometimes too. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. So um, I would love as you're reflecting on that, what do you wish you knew before stepping into your current roles? Um. Thankfully, again, having like good teachers along the way, my eyes have been fairly open, so I don't have a lot of regrets. Um, in the current role of director, I find what I've been avoiding up until now of the non-teaching work is, you know, uh, that goes into supporting course and curriculum and making sure that, you know, a large staff of, of simulation faculty is all on the same page. I spend you know, more time not teaching <laughs> than uh, when, you know, all of us get into it for the passion that we have for actually doing the work. Um, so, but I, you know, even, even that my wife's a, a high school teacher, so I know a lot of what goes into the, the, ba the background of teaching and how much gets done at home. But. Yes, indeed. I know. Isn't it always interesting the the level of administrative and logistical things that, need to be put in place so that you can enjoy the front end the yeah, teaching. Absolutely. Um, so given, you know, the scope of things that you do, you know, as you said, being an educator, being, a, you know, a healthcare practitioner, what continuing professional development do you do to keep up with the needs of your roles? Um, I guess I was alluding to before, and you know, I had to go out and learn how to teach. Um, one avenue, at least through what I was involved in in simulation, was uh, Society for Simulation Healthcare offers um, a certification uh, for certified uh, healthcare simulation educator. Um, so I 
uh, pursued that and have been maintaining that uh, accreditation for six years now. Um, and then um, now I'm you know, expanding on my role as far as uh, in the academic sphere with the Woodruff Health Educators Academy Fellowship and Educational Scholarship and getting a little more involved in research. And that's had you know direct carryover to, to our students who are getting to participate in a lot of this um, like cutting edge technology we're trying out. It's awesome. That is awesome. So as you think about, you know, the journey that you took, and I think it's wonderful that you got to have folks as your educators and then your mentors. Um, what advice would you give someone interested in doing the same type of leadership roles that you have? Um, the same advice I give uh, my students is learn from everybody uh learn from the people that you know are obviously your teachers but learn from i i learn from my students all the time uh, learn from your clinical preceptors learn from your co-workers everybody's got something that they can teach you and you know rarely is a day going to go by where you can say you haven't learned anything new um so just being open and receptive to that um puts you in the position where you know this is something that you can pursue Wonderful. I love that because I, I often tell people that any interaction has the potential of being a teaching and learning interaction. Yeah. So um, as you think about the work that you've done, how do you support or expand education in your profession or through your roles? Um, definitely in the clinical sphere, you you know, you carry that forward when you're, you know, heavily involved in the education of the students and the and the other clinicians are interacting with students. They see you as a point of contact and, and you get to act as a little bit of a liaison between the academic portion of these students' lives and the, and the clinical portion. And in that way, you know, the preceptors are looking for feedback and they, we, you know, they, we give them uh, survey results, um, but it's, you know, very easy for them to come to me. Hey, what do we think about the student? How, how can I my best help them? Um, and that improves them as preceptors and as educators. And honestly, those are the people that we draw from uh, when we're looking at bringing people into the faculty who are the ones that are, um, you know, they're, you know, performing well as preceptors, really take an interest in, you know, the students learning, have a good manner about them. And so, you know, we expand our faculty through the, uh, you know, that ind indirect development. So Love I think that's the best, best I can answer that. <laughs> no, that's, that's wonderful. Cause I think we often hear, it's almost sometimes it feels very separated in healthcare professions programs where it's like, there's the didactic, there's the clinical, during the didactic, they've got their faculty, during clinical, they've got their preceptors, and sometimes the, the two groups don't get to talk as much. So I think that's wonderful that there's this engagement with them. Um, talking about those preceptors, are your preceptors mainly inside Emory Healthcare or are they in a range of? Uh... Uh, we have, I think, 60 different clinical sites spread all over the country. Um, and so it could be any number of practitioners at those different sites. Of course, you know, they will weight heavily towards the Emory system. Um, 
Emory, St. Joe's, Grady, um, the Atlanta hospitals, but Northside, Piedmont, uh, Gwinnett, Kennestone, everybody. And then, you know, out into the greater Georgia area, up in Athens, down in Florida, um, Vermont, and they, they go all over the place. And so coordinating those clinical sites and coordinating with the preceptors and setting, you know, reasonable expectations of where students should be at a certain point in their training. Uh, that's a full-time job for somebody else. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love how that was said, like, a, thank goodness, not me. <laughs> <laughs> we all have our strengths. Keeping up with that many people, maybe not one of mine. <laughs> fair, fair. I understand that. <laughs> um, so as uh, you think about the stuff that you have done, what has been one of your greatest successes thus far? Um. I think one of the things that I uh, started when I came on back 2016, 2017, uh, was a idea of moving towards interprofessional simulation. We work in a profession where uh, mid-levels and MDs work side by side um, day in and day out as part of an anesthesia care team model. Um, and up until that point, there really hadn't been any time for these groups of learners, the anesthesia residents and our AA students to really come together. Um, and so we developed a you know, joint sim or interprofessional simulation where they got to practice communication and teamwork in their future roles. Uh, and that's something that we've been able to carry through year to year uh, ever since that point with you know, COVID accepting. Uh, and it's been something that's been super beneficial and well-received by residents, by the AA students. Um, and has repercussions that I notice, you know, to this day, people come back five, six years later. Oh, I remember when we did that simulation and, you know, I really took some of those lessons to heart. And so, you know, I hold that one up pretty high. That is wonderful. Can you tell our listeners a bit more about like what is entailed in trying to logistically put that kind of thing together? Um, it's coordinating a lot of people at uh, first and foremost it's you know making sure that we have the staff in order to run the simulation um, appropriate faculty both from our end and from the MD side as observers in order to give good expert feedback on the on the simulation that's run uh, we take up most of the office suite between running the simulation having a conference room for debriefing um, and there's the logistical schedule of getting, uh, 16, 17 anesthesia residents and, uh, and that many anesthesia students paired up together. Um, and each simulation, uh, for a pair of learners, it runs for, uh, you know, close to an hour. So you can see it's done over multiple days and then take some time commitments from you know, a lot of people in order to make it work. And then making all that work while these people have full clinical obligations, both wow. the faculty observers and the and and the learners. So there's there's a lot of strings to pull. We've managed to do it once a year, um, and that's about the bandwidth that most of us can support. Uh, everybody says they want more, um, but logistically putting it together is is a lot of work. Indeed, indeed, and that. As you said, that once a year, though, um, people still remember it. So it's a powerful once a year. 
as you talked about the staff, um, who all is involved? Do you have like standardized patients, people who have to run? Like I've always been like, there's a black box when it comes to simulation. <laughs> uh, we adapt to the, you know, this uh, scenario or the objective that we're trying to do for, you know, the specific joint scenario, uh, sim scenario. Um, there's a MD uh, with interest in simulation who's helping direct a, uh, our lab manager who's running the mannequin. Um, she's giving him the medical input of how the mannequin should react in order to the therapies that the learners are then, then producing themselves, right? So we can't really predict what actions they're going to take. And if it falls outside of the you know, knowledge of this person who maintains the machine very well, that's where we need you know, medical direction on that side. We have usually one of our faculty uh, playing the role of a surgeon. Uh, in this. So we have uh, the full high fidelity suite. Um, and then at least uh, one member of our faculty and as many uh, community docs as we can have, usually two or three uh, in order to facilitate debriefing and me running around facilitating the whole thing. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. I, I see what you mean about like the logistics, but it must be amazing once everything comes together. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. Everybody enjoys it. Great, great. Thank you for sharing. Um, as you think about, you know, the journey you've had, and um, I always think of us as lifelong learners, as educators. So what are your biggest growth opportunities currently? Um, I think I look forward to having unlimited funds and unlimited space, right? <laughs> I have big ideas and, and learning to, to manage those and work within the confines uh, uh, and limitations is uh, something that I'm, I'm working on. Yeah. Uh, and in anesthesia, we're used to instant feedback based on our interventions. I give a medication, I expect, I know the, you know, the onset time, I know when I expect to see a result and education works on a different time frame. Uh, <laughs> and, and so just, you know, implementing and getting things accomplished uh, is, you know, where, where we all have opportunities for growth. <laughs> Indeed, working working within the, the bounds when we have big dreams that are way bigger than those bounds. I understand that. Um, so as you think about um, what you've done thus far, what do you love most about your work and what you do? Um, the fact that I do and see something different every day, every week, every month, um, I find that I've got a great balance between the academic life and the clinical life. And so that, you know, I feel good going into clinical and not burnt out and, and really wanted to, to perform my best there. And at the same time, I get to bring and relate that into the, the academic side and, and, uh, provide, you know, real life scenarios and every patient's different every student's different even if the material's the same uh there's there's always a little bit there's always something to, to learn every day so it, it really gives me the opportunity to do that and work along people that are you know equally capable and uh it's yep dream job 
Love it. Oh, and can you explain, so you've talked about you you get to do your clinical practice and then there's the academic side. It How is that scheduled? Is it per week you do, um, you know, this much percentage of this and that percentage of that? Yeah, I'm 60% I'm, I'm uh, academic and 40% clinical. So okay. out of a 40-hour work week, do the math from there, 24 okay. hours. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. That helps. I was like trying to wrap my head around that. So overall, reflecting on your experiences to date, what would you say are your passions around education? Um, this has definitely been learned since I started teaching, right? It, it, things uh, are vastly different from when I went through school. Um, and the concept of it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. We learn better through our mistakes you know, when those mistakes are, you know, encouraged and as opposed to penalized and in, not so much encouraging the mistakes as that, but encouraging people to be bold and to make mistakes by trying new things. Um, when I came through and medical education as a whole was very much, you know, you do things a certain way. If you don't do them exactly this way, we're going to get onto you and, uh, and make you feel pretty bad about the, about the mistake you made. That is definitely, you know, changed since I've been teaching and that hasn't been that long as far as trying to take an approach to this new generation of learners that is, you know, accessible to them and has been shown out to be more effective. Um, and so you know, the, you know, that's been a, a passion of, you know, getting my colleagues and people who grew up around me from that same kind of environment to acknowledge, Hey, we don't raise our kids that way. Right. We've learned better and we don't, you know, we, do the do the things that our parents did to us? Why would we expect that you know, the same the student the, that education is stood still? Um, so that's been a passion of mine. Uh, and I see now it also makes sense why simulation is such a close element because people always talk about simulation as the perfect place to try things out and fail in a safe environment and learn. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So recognizing you are more than what you do at work, what are some things you do outside of work to help you maintain joy in life and practice? Um, having done so recently, travel. I <laughs> uh, love to get out and see the world. Um, uh, take my camera with me. Uh, I like to do photography and just, you know, on my amateur level. Um, and you know, very much related to simulation, I like to play out of games. <laughs> Video, TV, what type of games are we talking here? Um, mostly tabletop. So, uh, I'll do what you would consider very long form games, either elaborate board games or I do tabletop miniature wargaming and, and things like that. So, um, very much akin to simulation. Let's let's uh, set up a scenario and see how things play out. <laughs> There's a running theme here, even in your fun. Hey, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day, right? <laughs> there we go. There we go. And as a as a fellow fellow lover of travel, um, what are I won't say your top one, but your top three destinations so far? Um. I mean, 
So my wife's from Spain. We, we've gone there every year for 20 years visiting her family uh, um, and have traveled all over the country. It's an amazing place to be. Um, if I had to pick a place outside of that, I loved going to Costa Rica. That was, that was really nice. Um, uh, but we do vacations a little bit different than maybe most do. Uh, neither of us is one to really kind of sit still and be passive and, and chill at the resort. We're all, okay, where's the next mountain that we're going to climb or, uh, let's, you know, do zip lining in between, you know, the rainforest or, um, so very, very good at catering to the people who can't sit still. <laughs> Love it. Love it. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate those of you who can do that. I'm a very, okay, let me just sit still and watch them go by. <laughs> we all start to get antsy. We're like, okay, we've been sitting here for 30 minutes. What's next? <laughs> right. <laughs> we have to have a balance in the world, right? Somebody's got to do the zip lining and I appreciate that it's you. <laughs> so um, those were my core questions for you. Um, and before I let you go, any last words of wisdom for aspiring educators or education leaders? Um, I feel like I've used all the good ones up until now, so I'll just repeat it and just say never stop learning and your students are going to teach you a whole bunch. <laughs> I love that. I think that's such a wonderful way for us to end this episode. Thank you again, Will. All right. Thank you so much.